Lob it up to Rudy, put it down. Mitchell three. Yes! The rookie comes alive! Hello, Jazz Nation, and welcome to another episode of Hashtag Jazz. My name is Jason Walker, joined as always by... Trey Sanders. The good man, the good man Trey Sanders. I wouldn't say I'm a good man. <laughs> Decent? Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> um, bearable. Bearable. <laughs> All right, so we're going to be doing a season review, I guess, just getting right into it. Um, but first, uh, a couple of things. So we're thinking about splitting this into two parts, and then we realized that the first half of the season sucked. So um, <laughs> it would be hard to talk about that without getting either depressed or just like wanting to move on to the other half of the season. So really we're just going to combine this, talk about a few other things as well. Um, although one, I guess, important thing to talk about, if you're super dedicated to our show, which if you are, thank you so much. But um, we're going to be taking a, a lot of breaks during the summer just because nothing happens. Um, and those breaks will especially be happening in July and August. But, I mean... The next episode after this one probably won't happen until around June 10th, a little bit before the draft, and then we'll do one like two weeks after that to recap the draft, and then we'll also have like a free agency preview, and then after that, it depends on what the Jazz do. If the Jazz sign LeBron James, we'll have a podcast. Um, <laughs> in which case, I don't know, what we'll, we'll probably have like a 10-second podcast of us Screaming in, in joy, and then that'll be it. I don't know if I'd be screaming for joy if LeBron came to Utah. I really don't. I like number one, LeBron would never be able to be the coach um, because Quinn Snyder is the coach. And when it's a LeBron, when LeBron's on your team, it's LeBron's team. It's that's how it is. Yeah. So it would be a very different culture change, which I, I guess. You know, when you think about it, you're not. Sh I'm not sure I would like either. Uh, just because I think one of the things we've talked about extensively is just how much we have grown to love the culture, which I think has been one of the biggest differences this year from last year is just the culture is so awesome. I mean, we loved last year's team. You know, no doubt about it. We loved it. We mm -hmm. enjoyed it. They made it to the conference semifinals. There was n nothing bad about that. It, it was just the, the culture was just... Just, there was just something about it that made you absolutely love and adore every person on the team. Um, so, but it didn't obviously. It obviously didn't start out that way. So, I mean, let's looking at the first half of the season. Like, what what went wrong in the first half of the season? I'll let you. I'll let you take that one, Trey. Oh, oh man, I don't know. Honestly, it's. I mean. All the pieces, well, the majority of the pieces were still there. Um, you threw in Tabo Cephalosha, you got John, Jonas Jerebko, um, and then you had an injured uh, Joe Johnson, who obviously is well past his prime, and uh, you got Rodney Hood, who just <laughs> was told he was going to be the scorer and buckled under that pressure and um, had his moments, but then you had Donovan who was just starting to figure it out and 
you know, he figured it out relatively quick um, to an extent. I mean, you, you look at the, the first couple of weeks of Donovan Mitchell's career, it was, it wasn't pretty like <laughs> he was just, uh, he was getting a harsh reminder of where he was. Um, but I don't know. Cause I mean, looking back at like Rudy and Derek at the beginning of the year, they couldn't seem to figure out what they were supposed to be doing with one another, even though they just played with each other the year prior to that and things worked out well. So I don't know. I just think it was more of the, the fact that Gordon was gone. They kind of didn't really know what their roles were anymore. Like, cause the plays all revolved around Gordon Hayward. Right. So he left and that changed the, the whole scheme of things for the team in general. I think that's probably where it was. They just didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, and I think it probably just had a lot to do. We we talk about culture, and I think also identity. Where you mentioned Gordon Hayward was not only a lot of the actual basketball being played, but also he was the identity of the team. You know, nationally, you think of the Jazz, you thought of Gordon Hayward, and so then it was, you know, who did the Jazz turn to? And you mentioned early on Donovan Mitchell struggling. Um, it took him about seven or eight games to actually get into the starting lineup. Um, and obviously was struggling in those first few games. Um, and you also took look at Ricky Rubio when, when he came in, he actually kind of started off a little hot and then he, he tanked and he tanked hard. Um, he yeah. Just, yeah. No, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. It's easy because you think of the last half of the season, he was doing absolutely awesome. Um, yeah, there were a couple of months, I think it was, maybe December, early January, I don't know, November, something like that, where he was shooting in the 30s overall in terms of his percentages. I'm kind of looking it up right now. Um, And I think it just took a while for this team to really get settled, and especially with Rudy Gobert going out for most of December and all that, I think it really, you know, it really hurt the Jazz. So, yeah, looking at uh, Ricky Rubio, November he shot 38%, 27% from three, 37% 37% in December, 24% from three, and, and he eventually went up from there, but, like, I mean, absolutely awful for a couple of months. And Donovan Mitchell, everyone had to kind of turn to Donovan Mitchell because everyone was either struggling or injured. And I think, you know, just looking back to that time, it was this kind of miserable, like, you know, our team isn't very good, but we have Donovan Mitchell. Because after those initial couple of weeks, he began to show promise, uh, a lot of promise. And and the moment that I feel like if, you know, when I look back to the early part of the season, the only positive memory is that moment where I, I talk about where I say Donovan Mitchell arrived, you know, in, in terms of like his becoming a, a rookie star, for I guess lack of a better term. And... It was that dunk he had against the Lakers, that putback dunk, and I forget exactly which day. It was like one of his first twenty-point games. I think it was his first twenty-point game, where he just started to go off, and he showed a lot of his offensive potential. He, you know, made Sports Center top ten, all that different thing. All eyes started to follow him. And that's really the only positive thing that came out of the early part of the season. Whereas everything else with Rudy Gobert being out and all that, the Jazz were struggling to actually make a team. 
you know, I, I guess kind of the difference between a tanking like the Suns, where they have Devin Booker, and a team like, I don't know, the 76ers, where they have young stars that are producing, if that made any sense whatsoever. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, it just, it was... It was just a lot of things changed. Um, Quinn Snyder, I mean, obviously the system didn't change all that much. It was still relatively the same thing. I just think it was more or less like, okay, well, and he said throughout the season that, you know, it's just a, it's just a thing where everyone needs to develop their habits. Yeah, and, and again, I go back to Ricky Ruby. He's one of the guys that had to develop habits because you look at George Hill. George Hill is almost perfectly designed for – Quinn Snyder in terms of the point guard. Um, Ricky Rubio was not. He was much more of that ball-dominant point guard, get nine or ten assists per game. He's coming into Utah where, I don't even remember the last time, I think Trey Burke is the last guy to average more than six assists. Uh, Ricky Rubio did it this year. He averaged like 6.4. But you know, this isn't a team that has one individual having a high number of assists. Um, so Ricky Rubio, he had to go from being a very pass first point guard to taking more shots. He set like career highs in, I think, field goal percentage and um, their field goal attempts. Yeah, field goal attempts and three point attempts per game. So he really had to get out of his comfort zone. And probably several players, you know, Rodney Hood, when it really kind of had to get out of his comfort zone because he had to be the leading scorer couldn't quite do it you know and everyone had to shoulder more of a load without um gordon hayward so it really was a learning curve for everybody and probably quinn snyder as well yeah because well he not had to start started new but i mean building your building your team around one guy as the focal point i mean you kind of have to rewrite a little thing. You have to rewrite some things and then get everybody to buy into the how the system is supposed to work with everybody um, moving together. Yeah, and so I'll just yeah, I, I don't know if I have anything else to say about the first part of the season. Just that it, it really was just this whole learning thing and that's the crazy thing is that the jazz were able to put it together um after what five months like september october november december most of january and they eventually did put it together which i think is an enormous credit to these players um yeah well and to come out like that after the grueling december that whoever wrote the uh, schedule for the jazz um decided hey maybe if we just beat them down in one month maybe maybe they can come out on top of this i don't know maybe <laughs> no matter how you look at it that december schedule was just awful it was man nobody should have to go through that grueling of a stretch yeah it's just it, it really was unfair and not only for the fact that it was ridiculously hard it was also our most vulnerable point uh, without Rudy Gobert um, rookie leading scorer Ricky Rubio was barely coming out of his slump in that uh, or I think he was in the middle of his slump and yeah 
the the fact that we managed to turn that around is an accomplishment. There's actually uh, an article from SLC Dunk that talked about how like no team has ever come back from what the Jazz have done. Like in terms of having such a bad first part of the season. They, I mean, they were what nineteen and twenty eight. Like, or maybe it was eighteen and twenty eight. I can't remember. They were like nine or ten games under five hundred. On January 22nd, the end of the day, January 22nd, they were like nine or ten games uh, below 500. They were somewhere around seventh or so in the in the lottery standings. And I mean, that was the moment where you think they you know they just lost to the Hawks, and it just felt like all hope was lost. Like in terms of the the season's prospects, and it was just at that point. Well, it's slowly bringing Rudy Gobert back and try and, you know, get him back in rhythm. Let's play out for next season. You know, maybe do some, you know, the, the tank note uh, that, that was going around Twitter and all that. Oh, yeah, well, and we, we were a part of that, too. I mean, it, just because of what we were seeing, it was just like, wow, what, what, I mean, what do we do? <laughs> I, I, should, I should go back and listen to what we were saying because I, I think – I can't remember exactly what I was saying. I, I was probably in favor of – tanking at that point i can't remember exactly what i said but i'm pretty sure i was in favor of tanking um because this is kind of how i think i i tend to think i'm i like draft picks so at least as a jazz fan because we can't sign free agents at least high level free agents so yeah i think i think uh i think this latter half of the season may have opened some eyes though yeah, and, and I think that's that, that's awesome for the Jazz. They might be able to bring in some agents. I'm thinking there's probably not any free agents the Jazz can bring in, like major ones, that I can think off the top of my head. I think they should maybe go for some trades, although those are just as unrealistic because we don't have a lot of trade pieces, at least things we want to give up. Mm. But but kind of going back to the the season, I, I think that, that win streak – that we managed that the jazz managed to put together the 11 game win streak was it, it it defies it defies words because it did so many things for this franchise and i do mean franchise it wasn't just the season it was the franchise because it turned around the whole mindset we went from 10 games below 500 to above 500 you know, in the matter of a handful of weeks. And I think that really, you know, if it had been just like a five-game win streak and then lose a few games and then another five-game win streak, it, I think it's it would have been very different. Even if we'd won the same amount of games in the same stretch of time, like maybe 11 out of 15 games, it would have been much different. But the fact that we won 11 in a row. 12. Yeah, oh, 12, sorry. Um, the, the fact that we won, you know, the 12 games in a row, it showed that... Oh, no, sorry, it was 11. It oh, was 11? my bad. Okay. I right, just... Quick fact-checking here. But, uh, <laughs> but again, the fact that we went on such a double-digit win streak, something we hadn't done in years, it showed that, hey, we're not a lottery team. We're not you know, a top seven lottery team. We are a potential playoff team. And we, the Jazz beat several good teams. I think one of their 
blowout wins against the Warriors came in that stretch. And maybe like a win against, I think, maybe the Raptors or somebody. And the Spurs, I think, as well. So it was multiple games against good teams. And we're blowing the heck out of them. We're blowing the doors off of these teams. I think it did so much for the identity of this team. It's like, hey, we've got this figured out now. We can be a good team. And, and I think that if, if it had been maybe a couple of smaller win streaks close together, it wouldn't have meant quite as much. I mean, you kind of agree with that or what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I totally do. I mean, yeah, I'm looking at the win streak right now. I mean, Detroit was the thing that started it, and then we go into Toronto, beat Toronto, we blow out Golden State at home, we blow out Phoenix Suns, we blow out, well, not blow out, we won by nine against San Antonio, and then we just, demolish the Pelicans and then we uh, come out with a win against Memphis then we destroy the Hornets we destroy the Trailblazers we beat the San Antonio Spurs again we blow out the Suns again um, and then the break happens we lose we win we lose to Houston and then we start another nine game win streak after that I mean yeah that was that Detroit game was the turning – well, I would say the Atlanta game was the turning point of the season. Yeah, that was kind of the moment where it's like yeah, everybody – I imagine they kind of got together and just said, let's get our crap together. Um, and I think it was after that game that Rudy Gobert had his tweet where he said, we'll be fine. Yep. Yeah, so – and <laughs> he was right. None of us believed him. <laughs> I didn't believe him. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Good, 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 good on you, Rudy Gobert. You know, positive. <laughs> I like I like that. Yeah. But no. <laughs> but, but he's right. I look like the idiot. He looks like a, a genius now. So, you know, kudos well, to Rudy he, Gobert. He had been praising the team even before they even started playing. Uh, praising the Jazz or? Yeah, because after Gordon left, he's he's just like, oh, you'll be, you'll see. We'll be oh, fine. Oh, we're, yeah, yeah. We're going to be this, great. Yeah, before the season, definitely. And I think Joe Ingles do that too as well, have. Probably a lot of the players talked about it, but yeah, Rudy Gobert was definitely the focal point of that uh, that talk, and it it, it does show better the fight, especially if Rudy Gobert is that he he doesn't he doesn't quit, um, and he's going to be rewarded for that. He's probably going to get Defensive Player of the Year. He seemed to be the consensus choice. Um, yeah, and, if he doesn't get if he doesn't get depend the Defensive Player of the Year, there's something wrong. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, obviously he deserved it because you look at that, um, you look at the Jazz after January 22nd, they ranked first in a defensive rating and an opponent's points by like a mile. Or at least a defensive rating by a mile. Um, and just... They... I don't know. And also on offense, uh, kind of the interesting thing is this, is that this offense... Um, first off, it's sped up. One of the things I actually found interesting about the offense is that we had, like, the fastest pace for a season since, like, I want to say it was the 90s. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check myself really quick here. We had a pace of 95.7. Let's see. When was the last time we had one that high? 1992-93. Wow. So that was like early Stockton and Malone days. Yeah, like in 
Yeah, so it's it's we we've kind of split it up, and I guess it's kind of inevitable, um, just with the way that the NBA works. Um, we're going to more possessions. Um, and I I think that the Jazz offense, you know, looking at things that. I guess we can improve on because we've talked about how much the Jazz were able to turn things around. Um, I mean, obviously they became the defensive juggernauts of the league. But I guess I really want to talk about what the Jazz can improve on. I think a lot of our flaws were exposed in the Houston series. Um, Which, quick fact about the playoffs, talking about things we haven't done in a while. We made the conference semis twice in a row for the first time since the Boozer and Darren Williams era. So that's just a random factoid. I just, I, Carlos I, Boozer. I just had to share that. Yeah, Carlos Boozer. Freaking Boozer. I don't know how to feel about Carlos Boozer anymore. Uh, I Yeah, I mean, I don't care anymore, but it man, could, did I like... I've never hated a jazz player before in my life, and Carlos Boozer was it, man. <laughs> like, it was just eh, so. I'll come to play on some games, and then when I do come to play, I'm gonna play great. But most of the time, I just really want to be back home in Alaska. <laughs> I forgot he was from Alaska. Yeah. What? Uh, well, it's kind of like Darren Williams. It's like. It was kind of like Darren Williams where I hated him and then it was just like he started sucking and the teams he was on sucked. So it's like, whatever. And now I don't care as much. And I guess it's kind of the same with Carlos Boozer where it's like, you know, went to the Bulls and everyone's like excited. Yeah, we got Carlos Boozer, a, a 20 and 10 guy. And it's like, yeah, and in two years you're going to hate him. Yeah. And they did. <laughs> they yeah. did. I think he retired after that. He didn't go anywhere after the Bulls, did he? Um, I think he went to the Lakers for a short stint. Really? Yeah. Hey, I think you're right, actually. At least I'm pretty sure. I'm going to have to look that up now. <laughs> but moving on, while I look up this Carlos Boozer thing, um, <laughs> let's talk about where the Jazz can improve. As a team, so, you know, their strength is obviously in their defense. Their offense is kind of mediocre. They have a budding star in Donovan Mitchell. If you're looking at improvements, Trey, what is the first thing you think the Jazz need to improve? Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Boozer did play one year with the Lakers. Yeah. Um, shoot man i don't know i the the free throw shooting i would say is a good way good place to start because we weren't bad in the regular season but we were terrible in the playoffs um i man we take back all the missed free throws we had in the playoffs against houston we would have been in just about every single game um i just got i don't know i mean the execution is there, and the shots fall for the majority of the time. But I just think it's more. I think it. I wouldn't say mental, um, because they're all mentally 
strong players, and they all have rallied around each other. We've seen it firsthand um, on and off the court. Um, but I don't know. I just I say focus because when the Jazz play focused basketball, they will beat everybody. They, we've seen it. <laughs> I mean, we, we didn't beat Golden State three three straight times for no reason. You know, um, whether or not Golden State, the times we did play them were kind of sitting on their hands, um, I feel is kind of irrelevant because Golden State knows how good they are. I mean, they're in the Western Finals for a reason, um, mostly because they, their roster is just stupid. Um, but the fact that we beat them that many times and San Antonio, we swept this year, like, or no, we lost one, didn't we? We did lose one. Um, I mean, how often can you say that the Jazz went 3-1 and one against the San Antonio Spurs in a season? You can't. <laughs> Not since, um, like, the 90s. Right, yeah. I mean, and, um, you know, Houston had our number all year long. We did finally get a win in the playoffs, which is nice. Um, but then, same thing. I mean, the Thunder had our number all throughout the regular season and then the playoffs happened and man, because the Thunder hadn't played us in so long, it's like they forgot who we were and lo and behold, we we beat them in six. Um, but yeah, I just think mostly it's just focus for 48 minutes. Yeah. I really like that focusing. And I think one thing that kind of comes up when it comes to focus is um, at least one stat would be turnovers yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot more Ooh, to focus yeah. um, than just turnovers. Because one thing, when you look at the Jazz after that January 22nd, they ranked 26th in turnovers at 15.1 per game. Um, it's it's what not they very good. for the whole season, man? I feel like they were pretty bad about holding on to the ball. I totally forgot. I, I guess I just put that in the back of my head that we were really, really good at turning the ball over. So, actually, we finished 20th for the whole season. But I, I guess, yeah, for that, since January 20th, that was, well, I guess, the whole NBA. But I think we turned the ball over a little less. We were also playing a slightly faster pace. Um, so, that might have contributed a little bit to it. We were mm-hmm. playing about three more possessions per game. But, again, it, it was like one, one and a half more turnovers per game from the previous one, which was like 14 point something. Um, so... That is a huge thing, and just so many times when you're watching, you know, it's against Oklahoma City, against Houston, these dumb turnovers where the second they throw a pass, kind of, you know, above the free throw line extended, usually behind the three-point line, and it'd just be this dumb pass because it's it's not so much a dumb pass because you want to try and move the ball around the three-point line, but teams watch film on the Jazz, and they know they throw that pass. So they'll jump that pass a lot, or they'll cover it hard. But the, somebody will throw that pass anyway. Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell. I've seen everybody throw that pass, have it tipped away by a defender, and they go and get a dunk. And it's so annoying because you can see it coming from a mile and a half away through dense fog that they're going to jump the pass. You do not throw that pass. Throw a pump fake. And then just its simple half a second move will negate that turnover that, again, you can see coming. And it's just those simple things. You knock down one or two or three turnovers a game, 
and that could end up turning into two or four or six more points a game. Probably more right. than two points a game. And I, I, that, just this talk reminds me of that quote earlier this year from Quinn Snyder. It's like, yeah, there's a guy there. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't throw the ball. There's a guy there. <laughs> yeah, and that is literally what it is. It's like, there's a guy fronting you on the three-point line. Don't throw the ball, gosh dang it. I mean, like three or four times, Paul George would jump this you know, pass on the outside and end up with a free fast break bucket. Yeah, fast break buckets are they're they're backbreakers. That was really what I mean, especially in this uh, in the Houston series. It just it killed us. Yeah, and that's the thing: you're giving away points to the other team and losing points on your end. And you think if the Jazz limit those dumb points, they allowed 96 points a game. While doing, while having like the twenty sixth turnover rate or whatever, turnovers per game. So imagine if there was a little more offensive discipline. Then you know, it, there's just so much that come out of turnovers. I mean, you hear coaches talk about. I've I've heard a lot of different coaches talk about how turnovers are huge. I mean, they're huge in really every sport. Um, it's just. Yeah, it was it's, it's something that I feel the Jazz really need to work on. Um, so, I guess there's you know, that. And I, and I feel like that's going to improve, honestly, because, um, I mean, we talked about just the beginning of the season and throughout the season how, um, you know, they were trying to figure out what they were supposed to be doing in terms of the system. And now that they've had a season to do it, and they've done it. They've gone to the second round of the playoffs um, as this unit. I really think it will be better. Um, I don't want to say it's going to be exponentially better because turnovers are always going to be there. But yeah, I mean they'll go down. I don't know by how much. Well, if you can get it down to your own, I don't know what the league average is. I want to say like thirty. If you got it down to like thirteen, that would be good because I think that's what teams. Most other teams would average, at least good teams will average somewhere around there. Um, now let's look at this. Come on. Yeah, well, I won't waste too much time. But yeah, basically, again, it'd, it'd only be like one or two turnovers a game down from. And I guess you, you, you brought up kind of learning in this season. I think also having an off season because this last year we had a lot of turnover. We brought in a lot of new guys. You know, bring in Donovan Mitchell, Ricky Rubio, uh, Jonas Jerebko, um, Tabo Cephalosha. Epe. Yeah, Epe, Royce O'Neal. Oh. Uh, Joe Ingles got a lot more minutes. Um, all these different things. And then we brought in Jay Crowder as well. Like, when we dropped to, like, 26 in turnovers, that was – a lot of that was when Jay Crowder was here. So we brought in a new guy, and we – you know, that was when we traded away – you know, Rodney Hood and whoever else, you know, Joe Johnson and whatnot. So that may have contributed to, I think, maybe a full off season where these guys not only get better, you know, hopefully every player is getting better and learning and watching film and things like that. They'll have played together. And maybe early next season we'll see, we'll still see some turnover problems. Um, but then hopefully maybe they'll have another kind of figuring it out and they'll be able to, lower those by the time of the playoffs. Um, so, and that really is, I guess, the biggest thing, because at least that these play, that this team can work on, 
Because a lot of the other things that you want this team to be able to do, you need to bring in more help. Because we talk about having a much better offense. Now, that's one of the things. Because our offense is almost the very definition of mediocre. We ranked, like, I think, 16th overall this year. And, you know, that's that's not necessarily going to cut it, even if we have a really great defense. Because at some point, the other team is going to be having a really good offensive game, and we need to be able to match that, you know. See also the Houston Rockets and Golden State Warriors. So, the this Jazz team, I think, isn't going to be able to automatically somehow become a super offensive team without bringing in another guy. Um, so those kind of improvements, we'll see if that's something that Dennis Lindsay is going to have to handle. But in terms of what this iteration of the Jazz can do, turnovers and... Uh, like you said, Trey, focus, which comes down to a lot of things. You know, we ranted several times in the Houston Rockets series about lack of good ball movement and off the ball movement. You know, that also comes down to focus. Yeah, it really is. I mean, yeah, the the, the Houston series, they just, they for some reason, just wanted to do isolation basketball, whether Donovan was running it, Joe was running it, or Royce was running it. It just, like, why I, I don't understand like I get that you have Donovan Mitchell who is incredible at getting to the basket I mean holy cow that that quarter that that third quarter he went off for 22 points outscoring the entirety of the Houston Rockets in that quarter man <laughs> don't get me wrong dude can dude is really good oh man but you're getting out of your element. I mean, why are you getting out of what always works? I mean, that is how you score. You break down the defense by ball movement. You get the penetration. You kick it out or you kick inside, whichever. If the defense is moving, someone's going to be open. But for some reason, let's just isolate the ball. I don't I don't get that. I, that is definitely a, a piece going forward. That's, that is going to be a topic for sure. And um, – when I was watching all of like the exit interviews, I didn't watch all of them because it's holy cow, that's a ton. Um, but just of the main, like the main core players that are going to be there next year and hopefully for the next little while. Um, which side note is this is one of the coolest times to be a jazz fan because for the first time in a while, we have a we have a team that's going to stay together for a while, um, and that's comforting. But um, I, the biggest thing I took away from all these exit interviews was just everyone wanted to get better there. They weren't satisfied and that's really good. That's really, really comforting to be looking get into next season. All right. So let's, let's focus on getting better. And we're going to talk about, I want to talk about each of the individual players and things that we talked about how to get better as a team. So let's look at each of the individual players. Cause every single player has, Strengths, they have flaws, happens to everybody, but obviously you can work on those and hopefully turn them into into strengths. Um, so we'll kind of go down the roster. We'll try and keep these generally short, um, especially for some of the players not getting uh, as many minutes. Um, so let's start with, with Donovan Mitchell, because a lot of times we say he's good for a rookie, and we add that on at the end knowing that Sure, he has flaws, but we can overlook them as a rookie. The expectations are going to build, and he's going to need to get over some of these. So, uh, 
what do you think that Donovan Mitchell needs to work on specifically as a rookie, or I guess going into his second year? That's that's such a hard question, man. Because <laughs> he's so good. Um, I mean, he said himself he takes stupid shots. I mean, that's just what happens when you're in the flow of things. You get a little, you get a little too big of a head, and you take some um, ill-advised shots, or you take the heat check shots. But um, I want to see Donovan get better off of the dribble when he is taking a shot. He's not very good at the of the dribble and shoot uh, three or the jumper inside. And I, with that said, I want to see him start making and take or taking and making more mid range jump shots because he's pretty deadly when he does that. Um, and then consistencies from the three um, going inside. I think he can add a few more. Uh, tricks to what he already does, but I mean, going inside. I mean, he's a, he's elite level at driving to the basket already. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, the fact that I was able to find what I could just out of talking about this is just crazy to me. Because man, he's complete. <laughs> he's so complete. Yeah, and I would definitely agree. And yeah, when you're looking at improvements, they're very nitpicky. Because when I was thinking, one of the things you talk about tricks on drives. One of the tricks I thought of is. You know, kind of a change of pace drive. You watch guys like Chris Paul, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, all the really good guys getting into the paint, especially the guards, the smaller guards, who don't have the size of a LeBron James who can just decide he's going to the rim and he'll get there just, you know, because who's going to stop a 6'8", 280-pound guy? Uh, and so I think those those change of pace things, in which part of that is sometimes you back out and you take a mid-range shot, and you'll see Chris Paul. Um, he was able to really neutralize rim protectors, and, again, there's a whole different things With the change of pace drive, you essentially are establishing a triple threat 10 feet away from the basket, which can be deadly to defenses, you know, especially for a guy as creative as Donovan Mitchell. I mean, I would yeah, also he, started, he started doing that, didn't he? I, he? There were times he did it a little bit. Um, but, again, looking at a lot, I've watched his playoff highlights way too much. Most of it is he's either taking a pull-up three or he's getting all the way to the basket. There was one where he kind of took a step-back jumper. And he's also got a floater, but generally he's kind of going like the the vast majority of the time it's kind of a, a Russell Westbrook. I'm getting to the rim. Try and stop me. Right. Um, and so I think that's something that and again it's like what you said mid range jumpers. It's keeping the defense on their toes. Where you know in one instance he's either shooting from long range or he's shooting from close range. And there's not much in between. And you said that those pull up mid range shots can it turns you into an elite score where you're going from a 20 points per game above average score to a 25, 26, 27 points per game score where you're an elite score. Um, and yeah, the, the, those pull-up jumpers, like I said, mid-range, but also on the three-point line, you already, you already brought that up. You know, throw out some of the stupid shots, at least until you can make them more often, you know. Mm -hmm. sometimes, sometimes stars take those stupid shots and they make them because... You know, but uh, yeah, definitely. I think those are things with Donovan Mitchell, um, Ricky Rubio. So I actually lied. I said Ricky Rubio. I'm looking at this whole stat sheet. I said he averaged more than six assists this season. He did not. He didn't even come close. He averaged like five point three. Yeah, and that's 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 different to see from him. But that's also what you know 
this system is about. It's not about one player dishing out all the assists and then just hoping or relying on everybody else to do the scoring. Because, um, I mean, man, I I was someone who got on his case about taking all those threes and shooting all that, all that, all, all the times that he did, but it worked. It, it panned out and it was just really nice to see a new uh, version of Ricky Rubio. Yeah. So let's talk about Ricky Rubio. He's 27. So he's not, he's not old and he's not obviously not young, but what are the improvements that you think you can see from him next season that could, Help the Jazz. Or do you want me to go first? Uh, you go. <laughs> um, so for me, the biggest thing is he just needs to keep working on his his, his jump shots. Um, specifically, catch and shoot, uh, different things like that, three-pointers. Because when he hits those three-pointers, the Jazz become nigh upon unstoppable. Because, you know, back during the season, I was looking at it, I was looking at the games where Ricky Rubio made at least two three-pointers. Didn't even really matter the percentage he shot. If he made two three-pointers, you know, it was late in the season when I was doing this, and the Jazz at the time were undefeated. They were like 10-0 and or 13-0 and or something like that. So when Ricky Rubio is hitting three-point shots, it forces the defense to account for him, which makes him absolutely deadly. And we talked about this after one of the Utah's wins against San Antonio, where Ricky Rubio, he scored like 30-something points. He'd hit four or five threes or something like that. And you hear the announcers talking about having to account for Ricky Rubio on, uh, Rubio on offense, and he was just toying with them at the end of the game, running these pick-and-rolls, and he'd get swarmed in the key, and he'd do these easy dump-off passes to Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert. And so when he's able to force guys to you know, run him off the three-point line, which is a weird sight to see, <laughs> but if he's got guys trying to run him off the line and he gets into the paint, he wreaks havoc. And so, and, and you look at, um, let's see, I'm looking at his three-point percentage. I mean, in February, in eight games, he shot 50% from three, 35% in March, and 54% in April. Um, and, and his plus-minus in April was almost 30 Wow. So, if I'm reading this thing right. So, yeah, it's just, it's absolutely insane what can happen when Ricky Rubio is shooting well from three. And so he needs to make sure that this back half of the season wasn't an anomaly and that it's actually a sign of great progress. I I don't think it's an anomaly. I think that, I mean... What was it when I don't remember what episode it was, but it was like this that stint. I think it was February when he just started like he finally like we saw him figure it out and how the system works and how he should be playing within the system and um, all of that. I mean, it's like I don't see him. He's happy here. He's more confident than he's ever been in his in his career, at least in the NBA. Um, and he said it and it's just, a, it's, it's a scary thought to think about what the tandem of Donovan Mitchell and Ricky Rubio are going to be like next year. Um, I hope we, we don't eat these words, but, um, yeah, I mean, 
as far as improvements go for Ricky, I just say, yeah, knocking down your shots with consistency. Get that get that shot to really be mechanically sound, and it's it's going to open up a whole new world for everybody else. All right, Rudy Gobert. What do you think? We talked a lot about this, I think, in our last episode. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. If there's one improvement, Rudy Gobert gets one new attribute. What do you give him? One new attribute. <laughs> and I'll do do whatever you want. I won't. I won't. I, I should. He needs. That. He needs a post game. He needs a jumper. He needs something. He needs offense. Like, I get that he is taller than everybody, and he's a beast at getting rebounds and blocking shots and altering shots, whatever. But you're seven foot one, and you have no post game. That's not okay. <laughs> It's not okay. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing, a go-to move is is how I'd, how I'd break that down. You know, I, I brought up Stephen Adams, and I think in the last podcast, just nothing fancy. Go into the gym, shoot a hundred little baby hooks or regular hooks or however you want to do a hook shot, just do it, and learn to hit that sixty percent of the time, from you know within eight feet. Let's start at eight feet, move out if you want. Just something basic. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that well, we gotta well, kind of go from, that. Too, go well, that and I, if if it if it is all um, something that can be taught, he's got to be better with his hands. He's still not that great with his hands. I I don't think, I think I think he. Um, uh, I'm snowballing here, but I'm pretty sure that he only caught like four or five passes below his waist or to his knees all season long. He just, I, I don't know what it, I, I almost feel like I want to chalk it up to the fact that when he sees that pass coming and he goes to grab the ball, he's thinking about dunking it before he actually catches the damn thing. Yeah. So yeah, this is kind of going to come down to obviously mental. He can't be thinking about dunking it before he's got the ball. Um, and then sometimes it's just practice, you know, have you know after you do your hundred little hook shots have the one of your little trainer guys or whatever they call those staff members and have them throw passes to you chuck them at them at all different right. angles all different places work your catch radius which is enormous um yeah. you're you have the longest wingspan in the nba there's an <laughs> there's no reason i mean oh my gosh i've seen him go like get small guys guards even in the paint and once he gets the ball into the paint, he doesn't know what to do. He's like, oh, wait, what do I do? Like, well, dunk it or something. Like, you've got the smallest guy on the court on you. Like, if, if, he, if, he's, if he's more than five feet away from the basket, he doesn't know what to do. If he's right next to it, it's like, oh, yeah. Ball yeah, it's basket. like he goes into instant panic mode. It's, hey. just, it's weird. I love Rudy Gobert to death. I mean, with the defense and the win streak and the position we – ended up in would not be possible without him but holy cow you need you need more offense yeah so i guess uh offense and also i guess maybe just generally learning to play out of the paint or restricted area on offense and defense um what is something we well, can go into a lot yes and no i mean he should be able to come out when it's needed but i like what david Locke said the other day um where it's not Ricky, it's not Rudy's job to 
guard out on the perimeter or, you know, free free throw line extended. His job is to protect the paint. And I, I wholeheartedly agree, you know, but in the modern day NBA, you have to switch and he should be able to guard a little bit better than that. I mean, we, I watched, I don't know what it is, but Chris Paul just seems to know exactly what to do to Rudy Gobert and Rudy Gobert still just lets him get to that spot at the free throw line and free throw line extended and just lets him shoot it. He like feigns to put his arm up, but he doesn't even like fully extend it. He doesn't try to jump and block it. He just kind of stays, holds his ground and lets him shoot the ball. Yeah. So that's, that's something again, he can work on, you know, so he'll have to do that. You know, every few possessions, every game is guard one of their guards, which, you know, that could be a, five or six point swing depending on how well he does mm-hmm. um but moving on running out of time here uh joe ingles i had i thought of a really interesting one for joe ingles because when i was thinking i was thinking all right what can he improve on you know, he's like 30 years old what's he going to improve on at this point and i thought well isolation scoring and i thought well he can't score in isolation he's about as fast as i am but then i thought of one joe could develop a post game Think about yeah. that. Him, yeah. him backing somebody down, little fadeaway jumpers, just something nice and easy, back down smaller guards, be able to score in an isolation setting. I, I thought it was kind of decent. Yeah, idea. well, he's 6'8", and he's a bigger dude. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, if I play, I'm 5'11", and when I play, I still, I still have post moves because – I like to I like to move my shoulders, get someone to go one way, and then go up with the other hand. Joe Ingles could totally do that. I like that. Yeah, I think the key is just for him to be able to score kind of on his own because right now he depends on wide open shots or you know, different things. He is able to score a little bit on drives uh, and in the pick and roll, but I think you know and obviously we're not going to turn to him to be a huge isolation scorer. But this could be the difference between him. He averaged you know what on the season was that eleven points if I'm reading this right. That would be the difference between 11 points and maybe 14 points. Which, again, it's those little things that kind of add up. Um, but, I mean, other than that, Joe Ingles, he's not going to improve a ton. He's going to try, but you know, he's, he's 30 years old. Hey, but we didn't think he was going to improve much this season either, but look what he did this season. Yeah, so he obviously does deserve a lot of credit for that. <laughs> yeah, he was he was balling this this season. All right, so let's go down. Let's uh, let's go to Jay Crowder. What do you think Jay Crowder's got to do? We'll we'll hit a few more, and then we'll kind of start wrapping this up. Stop jacking up every three you see. <laughs> like for the love, man. Oh man, <laughs> it's man. It's like oh cool, I got the ball. Oh, I'm I've got a little bit of airspace. I'm gonna shoot this. Oh crap, I missed. Let me try again. Oh, I missed again. Come on. But then he makes he's the like next that, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but After he's, he's, like, that, like, six he's times. like that guy that shows up to pick up ball games and thinks he's so good at shooting threes and misses seven in a row and just thinks next one's in, next one's in. And it's finally like, okay, when are you going to stop shooting that and let other people score so we can actually try and win this game? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that Jay Crowder needs to be a catch-and-shoot scorer. Um, obviously, I think he should still slow down a bit on the catch and shoot because he shot 31% from three 
and averaged like five and a half threes attempted per game, which not good. But I think if he can settle into a catch and shoot role, some of those percentages will go up. Mm-hmm. It'll be more efficient. He's not a great offensive player, and I feel like he was shouldered with too much of the offensive load, which led him to, again, play hero ball. You mentioned jacking up every shot that he saw. He was like this. He had like the second highest field goal attempt, like on the team for a while, or like I, I think it is like, yeah, like of all the ag- current active players, he has the second most field goal attempts on the team. Like, he's I don't know. Joe Ingles and Ricky Rubio are probably better offensive players overall. Um, like yeah, I was gonna say those guys should player. be shooting more than him. So, yeah, definitely, I think those. Jacking up those shots, um, and I, bringing in another bench scorer will be crucial to doing that. I think. Take make sure Crowder doesn't feel pressured to have to do that. Um, yeah, I think that would have helped if Tabo was still, you know, if he didn't if he didn't tear his MCL. Yeah, so I think Tabo will be a, I think a, a pretty big, um, I guess, addition for you know he's coming back, so it'll kind of be like an off season addition because he played well. He did, yeah. Um, Dante Exum, what do you think? <sighs> I, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> that one's tough too because we haven't really like we've seen flashes of Dante Exum. I mean, I I was I was boasting about how awesome his first step is. And it, it, it's truly magnificent. Like it's just incredible how if he gets that step that you're done. Um, but his decision-making needs to improve, um, especially if he's going to be uh, playing the point guard role going forward. He needs to be better about making quicker decisions and more precise passes. Um, Cause he makes just as many lazy passes as anybody on the team. Um, but I think for him, it's just it's just a matter of staying healthy. Honestly, I don't think it's really anything he needs to improve upon. He just he knows what he needs to do, and he's got the habits instilled in him. Because, I mean, all the time that he's had to spend sitting on the bench watching the team do what they do, I think he's learned plenty um, just watching. Yeah, I think he's probably learned a lot, and I think. Maybe some of his decision-making is that he's seen so many things on film, but he hasn't been able to get that game time to implement a lot of that. Yeah. Where it's like, I know what I'm supposed to do, but when I get in the moment, it's like, you, I don't know, you don't quite get it. So you need that game time when you eventually get through it. So yeah, definitely that decision-making. And I think maybe the other thing is just work on that um, three-point shot. You know, try and get yourself up to you know, above 30%, I guess, to start with. Because mm-hmm. um, that'll make it even harder for players to guard him. Is if you sag off of him, he drains a three on you. If you're up on him at all, you get toasted, and he goes into the lane. Um, all right, let's do. Let's just do a couple more. The one that I couldn't figure one out for is Royce O'Neal. Like, what do you have Royce O'Neal improve on? Um, s- slow down. <laughs> Royce, I mean, I love his energy, but sometimes he's just out of control. I just feel like he's just moving at a thousand miles per hour all the time. He just wants to 
pounded inside. He wants to just outrun and, I mean, just slow down a little bit. I, I think for him that's what he needs to do. If he just slows it down, I think the game will come to him a lot easier. Uh, Royce O'Neal's got a bright future. Yeah, definitely. I've got a sneeze hanging on. <laughs> so if I if I sneeze randomly, I'm sorry. Um, that's okay. I'll be offended. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's the main guys. I mean, there's a few more. We can look at Alex Burks or Jonas Drebko, Ipe Yudo, but generally those are the main rotation guys, and we're pretty much out of time, so this was a long episode. But That's a good wrap-up. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of things to go over, and there's a lot of things to be excited about, I think, for next year, and we'll we'll obviously be talking a lot about next season because I mean, obviously the season's over, so that's all we have to talk about, especially now that we've done the review. But th- there is definitely a bright future. I think next season there's so much we can build on, and even if we don't bring in a big piece this off season, which I doubt we will, but, I mean, even though we probably won't, there is definitely an excitement that we can expect a team that maybe can surpass 50 wins. I mean, we'll, we'll go on like, what, 49? 48. 48. So we're looking at you know any semblance of improvement. We're essentially at 50 wins, matching what we did last season. Maybe we can get lucky in the conference semis, you know, assuming maybe we can make it again. So oh, well, I, I, I really, honestly, I, I feel like we will be there. I, I, Will we make it past it? I don't know. But, I mean, I remember saying, you know, halfway through the season when Donovan Mitchell really started to blow up and how we were saying, are the playoffs worth chasing? Um, and I said yes, because that that experience, not just for Donovan, but for this entire team, Ricky is another one you can throw in there. These guys, are, these guys got an invaluable experience together. Um, I the sky's the limit for the for the Utah Jazz. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them and uh, and I'm gonna I, and I, it might be a little crazy to say this, but I wouldn't be surprised to see the Jazz in the finals in the next three to four years. Yeah, if they play their cards right, it's it's possible, and I wouldn't deny that because yeah, with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, and again, it's just you feel like we're one piece away. That's really what it is. We're one piece away from. You know, a Western Conference Finals appearance, and that would potentially lead to a Finals appearance. So, totally. And from what I heard, Kawhi Leonard might uh, be leaving San Antonio, so that might be a pursuit Dennis Lindsay should take. Man, yeah, my, he's my gonna only... he's gonna be demanding of a big paycheck, but I think Dennis Lindsay's a smart enough man that he could probably make that happen. Yeah, my only thing is that we can go after guys. There's things, you know, Kawhi Leonard wanted to leave San Antonio. Maybe the Raptors, maybe they blow up their thing and maybe get rid of DeMar DeRozan. Um, you're looking at maybe adding those kind of pieces. The Jazz, I just don't feel like they have the, the capital to throw around to get those pieces. No, they don't, because unfortunately they're a small market team still. Um, reality bites in that sense, but yeah, I mean... I'm saying, I, I'm saying trade-wise, like if they had a handful of first-round picks, like in hand, and maybe a, a, a mm. budding young star or something like that, they could get him. But it's like, you know, we're not trading away Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Outside of that, I mean, what's the oh no? What's a GM? What's a GM gonna take on the Jazz that isn't named Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell for Kawhi Leonard or Demar Derozan? Right. 
Yeah, that that's that's the because I'd love to get those guys. <laughs> um, but anyway, we'll talk a lot more about what the Jazz are going to do this off season in the uh, the coming months, mainly in June. So again, we are going to take a little bit of a break, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, I've had a blast. I don't know about Trey; he seems kind of bored all the time, but. <laughs> Um, I'm bored. Oh wow! No, I'm, I'm I kid, I kid. You, <laughs> I'm joking. But uh, I, I I guess I'll, I don't know if I can speak for you, but I had a blast this season. I think we chose a really good season to start this podcast on. So, um, yeah, thanks everyone so much. Um, Trey, anything you'd like to say before we wrap it up? I don't like what you said. Okay, do <laughs> <laughs> No, I, 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 this has been this has been a good time. It's nice to talk about your favorite team and kind of analyze it as um, a professional. And then uh, I'm excited to keep doing this too. Especially like this is this this what we're doing right now is only going to get better too. So yeah, so we'll get better right along with the Jazz. Maybe one day we'll actually be good at this. Yeah, we'll get to the podcast finals. <laughs> What does that even look like? I don't know. I I'm pretty sure it's not even a thing. <laughs> um, I'm I'm sure it isn't, but it's it's you know we'll maybe we'll make it. And we'll just make it ourselves. So we'll be the first <laughs> podcast finals participants and champions. Dude, we should just like start a tournament with all the other hashtag podcasts. Oh, that that would be awesome. Yeah, there you go. There's an idea. And you think I'm bored all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna live that down, am I? <laughs> no <laughs> it's probably me that sounds bored all the time I have the monotone voice yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say you have a monotone voice you just have a ma- very matter of fact voice <laughs> matter of fact <laughs> I am smarter than everyone else not really that is far from true but anyway <laughs> now it's gone to your head <laughs> yeah now, now it has all right well before we torture our good listeners any longer we'll wrap this up we'll talk to you guys again uh, again we'll probably publish our next episode around the 10th or 11th of june so until then thank you so much for listening bye